If you will, take your Bibles and meet me in Psalm chapter 27. Uh, the verses will not be on the screen this morning. Um, just kind of did that intentionally because I'd like for you to, if you have a physical copy of God's Word, to get it out. If you have your device or your, uh, whether that be an iPhone, iPad, or an Android, get it out. And uh, we'll be reading out of the um, ESV translation of the New Testament, I mean, of the Bible. And um, if you have a different translation, that's fine. Um, they're going to be very similar, maybe may a word or two different here or there, um, but it's all the, the same Scripture, just sometimes just slight nuances in the translation. I have been eager to get to this summer series in the Psalms. Um, I've picked out a few of my own personal favorites uh, that I want to preach to you. Also, uh, still taking requests. Um, if you have a personal favorite from the psalm, uh, to let me know, uh, I'd, I'd, I would love to preach it, as long as, again, as it's not Psalm 1 or Psalm 23, um, any of the other 148 that are out there, uh, I'd be more than happy to preach from those. I was originally going to preach Psalm 46 this morning, but I realized that uh, Vicki uh, Richardson requested this. This is her favorite psalm, and Vicki's not here today. Her and Lisa are down in Honduras, um, doing mission work, and so we'll save Psalm 46 uh, to next Sunday. And so today, I'm going to get to, I'm I'm going to get to preach probably my third favorite psalm. When I was a teenager in high school, uh, every morning I would uh, arrive in the student parking lot at Oxford High School, uh, probably about 30 or 40 minutes prior to uh, the first bell, and uh, always spent the first. Uh, 10 or 15 minutes after arriving there, would get my Bible out that I would have with me in my car. And I would read Psalm 25, 20, uh, 24, 25, 26, and 27 every single uh, morning to begin my day. And I did that for two consecutive uh, school years. So best of my recollection, I don't ever remember missing one of those mornings. And so that would put me right at uh, having read those 360 times in the course of my junior and senior year. And so those uh, four chapters of the book of Psalm have become very dear and precious to me. And Psalm 27, out of those four, was probably my favorite to read. And so I want to preach to you from Psalm 27 this morning, a sermon that I've just entitled, Confidence in Every Circumstance. So let's read the text together. It's entitled, The Lord is My Light and My Salvation, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil doers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. 
For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted above all above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I love the way the psalm ends. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In 1812, a missionary by the name of Henry Martin, he may not be well known to you, but he is one of our great missionaries, finished his translation of the New Testament into Persian. He realized his translation would need the approval of the Shah if it was going to be accepted in Persia. Um, I keep using Persia. That's modern-day uh, Iran. Okay, modern-day Iran. So Martin had two very beautiful copies of his translation of the Bible into Persia uh, uh, written. What? Not printed, but handwritten. But before he was granted with the audience, uh, Martin had to first meet with the Shah's uh, second-in-command. And he arrived that day at court, the only European there, and all eyes were upon Henry Martin. Within minutes, the second-in-command and his officials began arguing with Henry Martin. For two hours, they assaulted Martin, verbally interrupting him and saying all sorts of lies about him and his book. Henry Martin stood alone that day. Ten against one. The man seems to have forgotten how to fear. He was a foreigner with no friends in the Persian court. And finally, this second in command, this, this man that was right underneath the Shah of Iran, of Persia, stood up and he asked a crucial question to Henry Martin, and he challenged Martin to recite the Muslim creed, which goes, Say there is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. That is the Muslim creed. The court fell silent, and the room grew electric. Henry Martin writes these words himself in his own book. 
He said in that moment, he said, I said, God is God, but added, instead of Muhammad is the prophet of God, Jesus is the son of God. They all rose up as if they would tear him from limb to limb, snarling out their classic Muslim rebuttal, which is, he is neither begotten nor begets. What will you do when your tongue is burnt out for blasphemy? Christ-centered courage and bravery is just not for missionaries 200 years ago. Probably more so now than it ever in, in all of Christendom. We need courage. We need courage to speak the truth. We need courage to stand up in the face of mounting opposition. And listen... Church, if you don't believe that true Christianity is shrinking, then you're just not paying attention. Today we lack courage to say what needs to be said because we fear all of the adjectives that will be thrown out about us. Bigot, narrow-minded, and on and on the list goes. We, we fear being ostracized, we fear of retribution, we, we fear, uh, even in some places, uh, people fear being sent to prison, they fear being sued, they fear being taken to court. We need confidence and courage for today. We might be afraid to stand for Christ when we are alone, on a business trip with our boss and our colleagues. We might be afraid to stand as a Christian at a family reunion. We might have to trust God with a hard situation in our marriage. Students, you can easily be afraid to take a stand on your school campus for Christ. I still never forget, it's, it's a little different time and place today, but um, when I was uh, a youth, my, halfway through my sophomore year, our youth pastor really challenged us to, to go all in for the Lord. I mean, you've heard me say this before, just push all of your chips in on Jesus. To say, you know what, Lord? If you are who you say you are, and I believe you are, then I, I'm, I'm putting everything on you. Everything I've got is yours. And one of the challenges he gave us, he said, if you, if you really want to get on the front lines of the battlefield, if, if you really want to engage the culture and engage your friends for Christ, now, remember, this is 1988. This is a long time ago. Okay? Life was a lot different in 1988. Hey, these things didn't exist in 1988. He said, take your Bible and take it to school. He said, and just don't take it and leave it in your backpack. Take it and put it out on your desk. And I took him up on that challenge. I said, well, let's see what happens.
Christianity was much more acceptable in 1988 than it is in 2021. Really wasn't that big of a challenge now that I look back on it in 1998 to put your Bible out on your desk. It created a lot of conversations. A lot of people picked it up and said, hey, that's a Bible. What are you, what are you doing with your Bible at school? Not like that that was weird or something. It was just, it was interesting. Nobody said, I, you don't really believe that, do you? You're, you're not one of those kind of people, are you? I can only imagine what would happen if a teenager walked into a classroom with a Bible and laid it out on their desk today. What, what, what conversations might arise out of that? Oh, it would take courage to do that today. It would take incredible courage to do that today. We might be terrified as we stand beside the hospital bed wondering what the future might hold. Psalm 27 is a psalm of confidence and courage. So I read it every morning before getting out of my car and walking onto my school campus. Why? Because I needed confidence and courage. Why? Because I had pushed all of my chips in on Jesus. Why? Because I had committed my life fully and totally to live for Him and everything that came with that. And don't get me wrong, it took courage that I did not have nor confidence that I possess to do that. And every morning I read the 27th Psalm to remind me that the Lord was with me and that I could be confident and courageous because of Him. The Psalm starts with a question. Whom shall I fear? And it ends with let your heart take courage. The good news of the gospel is that we have an anchor for our souls. Amen? Amen. We have a calm and confident. We can be calm and confident. We can be courageous and brave. How? Because God gives us Himself. If God is for you, And if we have Him, we have nothing to fear. FDR may have said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. But listen, the Christian who understands that God has given Himself to them has nothing to fear. David penned this psalm to teach readers, this is it. When God is your everything, you can face anything. When God is your everything, you can face anything. Sickness, death, hardships, calamity, persecution, whatever may come your way, if God, when God is your everything... You can face anything. You see, the Psalms are in the Bible to keep us honest. Because we're not honest. Somebody in this room is not really doing all that well, and you've been asked five times already this morning, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's wonderful. And you're really not. Life is not what you thought it would be. You're going through a tough spot. You're, 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 you're in a difficulty right now. 
But you've got your saccharine smile on. The beauty of the Psalms is the Psalms will not let you not be honest. Matter of fact, if you really start reading the Psalms, they'll make you quite uncomfortable. If, you're, if you tend towards dishonesty and covering up your true emotions. They present a faith that is real and deeper than any struggle we would ever face. David weaves three nouns together to form a cord of confidence and who God is. So look back at verse 1. The Lord is what? Here's, here's the three nouns that He uses to build this foundation of confidence. He is my light. He is my salvation. He is a stronghold of my life. But let's don't miss how He starts it. When you know... How does He start the psalm? He doesn't start the psalm with trouble. He starts the psalm with God. When you know who the Lord is, fear fades and you can face anything. Fear fades and you can face anything. This psalm of trouble does not begin with trouble, but it begins with what? Theology. The psalmist establishes a truth concerning peace that we often forget. Peace is not found in being surrounded by people who like you. It's not found in being able to understand all of life. Because there's always mysteries to life, right? It's not found in the ease of circumstances. Peace is found in sound biblical theology. And all theology starts with the Lord. It's my favorite cartoon in the world. The Peanuts. Charles Schultz wrote this back in the 1960s. I have, it, I have a copy of it framed and hanging in my office. Linus and Lucy are having a conversation. They're trapped indoors because it's raining. And Lucy says, boy, look at it, rain. What if it floods the whole world? Linus says... It will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah uh, that he would never again uh, flood the earth. And he gave the sign of the rainbow. Lucy says, you've taken a great load off my mind. Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. Never been a truer cartoon ever written. Sound theology is where we get our peace of mind. And David has his peace of mind. He has his confidence because he begins his song. He begins his declaration where all declarations of confidence should begin. And that is, the Lord is. The Lord is. David's song opens with a definitive and demonstrative declaration of what the Lord is. David's faith is rooted in the Lord's covenant. Right? What is the Lord's covenant? It's actually said to us at the end of this. 
But what is the Lord's covenant to us? Well, it's said like this. I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? What did Jesus say before He left? I am with you always. But the covenant is this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And guess what? That covenant works both forwards and backwards. What do you mean? I will never leave you or forsake you forwards or backwards. You forsake or you leave, never will I. You forsake or leave, never will I. That's the covenant. God is with us. He is not going to abandon us. Notice David's personalization of his theology. He just doesn't say the Lord is light. He doesn't say the Lord is salvation. What does he say? The Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Why? Because theology is meant to be deeply personal because of what it teaches us. His theology is not something that is ethereal, but it is earthly. It works. Theology is not meant to be talked about in classrooms alone. It's not not meant to just be discussed in life groups. It is given to us to enable us to live out life in every day. Theology is not the retention of religious information, but the redefinition of our identity. And, and we see that right here. His identity is not, it, is, it has been redefined by what he believes. Theology tells me who God is and who I am as a child of God. Theology is information aimed at transformation. And this transformation establishes in me a new orientation, a new way of looking at life, a new way of functioning in life. It totally turns me around and gets me going in the right direction. David's tone is not one of arrogance, but it's of assurance. Assurance that the Lord is his security that the Lord is his salvation, and that the Lord is his stronghold. Let's look at that real quick. He says, the Lord is my light. In essence, he's saying, the Lord is my security. Some of the dangers of darkness are real. It's good to have light, right? To be able to see those real dangers. Because the light exposes them so that we can deal with them. But some fears because of darkness are imaginary. Anybody ever had those? You think something's there, but it's really not. And light exposes to us that, hey, that whatever my fear is, is not even real. It exposes it for what they really are. The light of God's presence is David's security. But he also says, the Lord is my salvation. What does he mean by that? But he's not talking about the forgiveness of sin. He's talking about, in the broadest terms, the deliverance from evil. No matter what our our circumstantial or situational status seems to indicate, the Bible declares to us this, evil will not win, but God will. 
Listen, there's going to come a day when, we, when all of us will be invited to a funeral that we want to go to. It'll be the funeral of sin and death because sin and death one day will be no more. But then he says, the Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is the stronghold. The Lord is saying to the alone, the alienated, the weak, the vulnerable, that there is a place to run. There is a place to hide out in. There is a safe room. I'd always heard about safe rooms. And when we uh, bought our house a couple of years ago, the... Um, uh, our real estate agent was taking us around, and she said, oh, there's a really cool feature about this house. I'm like, okay. I'm like, it's got a library. That's cool enough. I don't need any. Like, we walked in the front door, if you've been in my, our house, to the right, that's the study. I saw the bookcases built in. I was done. I sat down. I said, whatever. If y'all want it, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. This is all I need. Yeah, I don't even need a bed or a bathroom. I just need bookcases. And I'd be great. But she said, no, you got to come down and see this cool feature down in the basement. I said, okay. And they called it a safe room. I'm like, whoop-dee. It's not a safe room now. It's been turned into a, uh, yeah, pantry. It's turned into a pantry. So we're supposed to be hiding out when intruders or storms come. Ah, forget that. We just put canned goods in it and a mop, and some other stuff. But safe rooms. But God is saying, I'm your safe room. I'm your place to run into. I'm your shelter. I'm your protection. I'm your place to hide. I'm your fortified place of protection. And when the Lord is your security and salvation and stronghold, listen, you can face anything. Now, I just got to read these verses. I think this may be the most red section of the Bible in this church in the 13 years that I've been here. I, I, I wish I knew how many times I read this passage out loud in the Sunday morning service. But this is the passage of passages when it comes to confidence in facing circumstances of life. What shall we then say to these things? What things? All things. Is God? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. So, hey, let me just stop right there. If you're going through a tough spot right now, just know this. You say, I'm praying and I'm not getting any answers. Guess what? Christ is praying as well. Don't lose heart. He will answer. In time, help will come. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought, well, all that praying we've been doing was for naught, right? Because they're in the fire. Oh, but guess what? <laughs> That's where God was. <laughs> he wasn't outside it. He was inside it. How about when Daniel was stoned down in the lion's den? Surely he thought, here I've been faithful to the Lord, and I'm about to be devoured by a lion. But what the lion didn't know is that he was really in Daniel's den because Daniel needed something to lay his head on that night. 
He is praying. You think you're praying. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Himself is praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Now this is where you just get right on up into your grill, into yourself, and you start telling yourself this. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Who? Who's going to separate me from Christ's love? Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Sore? No. Danger? No. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things. Notice what, he, notice what he's saying here. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. It, it didn't say that because we're Christians that we get to avoid all the difficulty of life. It says that for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep led to a slaughter. But he says, no, even in that, what? We are more than conquerors. Must not be any conquerors in here. Must not be any people of God in the house this morning that really believes that no matter what you're going through, you may be going through the slaughter. You may be going through the darkest of dark in life and death is impending. Even in that situation, what you say is, no, I'm not a loser. No, I am, I am winning. This is not some kind of positive confession. We are simply saying with confidence that guess what? The Lord is with me. No matter what happens, I will conquer. Let me go back to my three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did they say? Hey, throw us in the, throw us in the furnace. And if we die, we die. And if we live, we live. That's faith. That's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter. If we die, we win. If we live, we win. Why? Because we are conquerors in all things. That's, that's our confidence. That's why when, you know, when, when, our, when our day comes to the end here on this earth, what, whenever that is, Christians do not go out losers. We go out winners. We don't go out, you know, uh, uh, poor, pitiful, wretched, and blind, we go out conquerors. Why? Because Christ has conquered death. And because of that, we can face any circumstance in our life. When God is your everything, you can face anything. No matter what it is. And that's not arrogance. That's assurance. That's not being cocky. That's being confident. That's not being haughty. That's humility. Why? Because when God is your everything, you can face anything. David says down in verse 2 and 3, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. I'm going to skip this part just for the sake of time this morning. But I want you to look at verse 4. One thing, one thing, 
One thing I've asked. Now think about what he's talking about. He's got all this stuff that's coming against him. I mean, his life is it. I mean, most most scholars think that what Paul, I mean, that what David is really writing about here is that he's really writing about the days where Saul was chasing after him, trying to kill him. Now you have to go back and read that if you're not familiar with it. But but Saul didn't like David because David was a dude. I mean, like, I mean, he was he was loved by everybody. I mean, he was. Hollywood before there was Hollywood. They sang songs about David. Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. I mean, you know, he was front page material. And he was beloved by everybody, and Saul hated him. Saul wanted to take him out, and he was doing all kinds of stuff to take David out. And so we believe that all this stuff that David is writing about when he's like, Even they want to eat my flesh and adversaries and foes. Uh, it is they who stumble and fall. An army encamps against me. My heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet will I be confident. Listen, David is not talking about something that he doesn't know anything about. He's talking about something that he's actually lived. He lived this out. And his response to that is, when he was in that situation, he just simply said this, there's one thing that I've asked God for. Can I ask you a question? What would you ask God for? Or what do you ask God for in the midst of your trials and tribulations and difficulties? Hmm? What do you ask God for? What would you ask God for in this situation? Weapons? The wrath of God, Old Testament style? David says, when my life is at stake, when everything is against me, when death is near, I know what I want to do. What does he say? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. <laughs> uh, David says, when I get in that situation, I just want to go to church. Why? Why? Because there's something about going to church. There's something that you get that you can't get anywhere else. There's something special about gathering with God's people. There's something special about singing God's songs together. There's something special about praying prayers together. There's something special about being in each other's presence. There's something special about hearing other people's testimonies. There's something special about hearing the difficulties that people are going through, but yet seeing a faith that is steadfast, unmovable, and unshakable in the Lord. There is something special about church. And I don't care what people say. And I don't often go in this direction because you, you shouldn't base anything on because it works for you. But listen, I'm going to tell you something. You know, I haven't lived very long, but, but I'm approaching 48. So I, I think that, I mean, I, I, got, some, I got some history behind me. I've done a little bit of living so far in my life. And here's the one thing that I know. I know when everything falls apart, I know one place I can go where it's not falling apart. And I'm going to tell you something, the church, as bad as it can be at times, it's still better on its worst day than any other place is on its best day. And David said, that's where I want to be. Why? Because notice, I'm just going to go off script here for a minute. <laughs> notice why David... Why he goes to church? Not, not to gaze 
on the beauty of the people there. Not to, for the, necessarily for the conversation. David says, I, I got to get to the house of God because in the house of God, there's something that happens there, and that is I can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why? Because you know what's beautiful when you get to church? You got a bunch of other struggling sinners. <laughs> and that's so beautiful. I love to see y'all struggling sinners. I do. Because I'm just one struggling sinner amongst a bunch of other struggling sinners trying to encourage each other to keep going, that it's worth it, that the Lord is good, that the fight of faith is the, is the best fight to be a part of. I see the beauty of the Lord in you and in your struggle. I see the beauty of the Lord when we sing songs together. I see the beauty of the Lord when we open up the Bible together. I see the beauty of the Lord when you're praying with one another and loving one another and forgiving one another. I just see the beauty of the Lord in ways here that I can't see it anywhere else. That's why David wanted to get to the house of God. That's why we need to get to the house of God. Not because we can stack up some kind of attendance record, but so that we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why? Because we need to be reminded by each other that when God is your everything, you can face anything. So much more I want to say to you this morning, but I'm... Just going to jump to the end here. Because I do want to spend what little bit of time I have left on those last points on the back of your bulletin this morning. Listen. <clears throat> One of the great benefits of finding yourself in a situation like David found himself in on numerous occasions is because you really find out something about your faith. Okay? I'm setting up those, those four little letters that are on the back of that bulletin. They'll go quick. You, you see, there's only two ways people approach God. Two ways that people approach God in difficulty. They either come to God because they're trying to get something from God, or they're try, which is the wrong approach, or... They are coming to God because they want God. You tracking? Huh? You tracking with me on that? There's only two ways people come to God. They either come to God because they need something from God, which is the wrong reason to come to God, because what you don't need is something from Him. What you need is Him. Why? Because when He's your everything, you can face anything. And see, the other part of that is, God doesn't want you to come to Him to get something from Him because that, that's just, that's abuse. That's the, kind of the definition of abuse. He wants you to come to Him because He wants you to be like those Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He wants you to come to Him and say, you know what, whether you, whether you help me out or give me anything or bring relief in this situation, it doesn't matter because as long as I got you, I can face anything. As long as I got you, I can face anything. That's all I need to know is that I have you. 
David's one request was not that God would change his circumstances. You know what his request was? God changed me. Some of y'all this morning, listen to me. That needs to be, if you don't take nothing else, take that right there. And tell yourself that 100,000 times in the next 60 seconds. Because that's what you need to tell yourself. You want God to change your circumstances, and what God's trying to say is, no, we're not changing the circumstance. The circumstance is here to change you. You need to be changed, not circumstances. And how do we get changed? Well, are you ready for those four little letters? Number one, this is what David said. I'm just going off what he said. He said, gaze. Gaze. Gaze at what? Take a moment every day and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And it will change you. First thing in the morning, before your mind runs to trouble, gaze at the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 39.3, My heart became hot within me as I mused or meditated or thought. The fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. Most of us read Scripture in an informative manner, meaning we examine the Scripture. For many, this is the beginning and the end of Scripture reading. But gazing and meditating moves our reading from the informative to the formative, to the transformative. David said in Psalm 27, 10, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. That's a man that's been gazing at God. He's been looking at that, that opening verse over and over and over again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my stronghold. And that's why he can say, and most scholars believe, the forsaking of his parents were not that they had abandoned him, but they had died. They abandoned him through death. But he says, but the Lord will take me in. Why? He'd been gazing at the Lord. He is meditating on that first statement back all the way up in Psalm 27.1. Gazers grow a faith that says when God is your everything, you can face anything. In verse 1, David states this theology, and when he comes to the end of his meditation, he is standing on his theology. Look how he ends. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. Hard to gaze when you're not waiting, right? And some of y'all need to let God be God and quit trying to be God. So you gaze at the beauty of the Lord. Number two, you got to remember. You got to remember. As you're gazing, remember, <clears throat> it's not just that God is these things, but God is these things for you. He is these things for you. He is these things for you. You, you can read David and say, Oh, I wish, I wish the Lord would be for me what He was for David. And that's exactly what the text is saying. God is these things for you. Don't forget that. Remember your identity. You are His child. Remember everything that He declares Himself to be. And He declares Himself to be that for you. Then you got to rest. Huh? That's what I'm going to do today. I'm tired. I just want to rest. 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 
Some of us are trying to do the Lord's work. You have your work to do, but what we fail to do is do what we're supposed to do, and we try to step into God's role and do what only God can do. Rest in what? Rest in this truth. Man, I love it. You know, the children of Israel, they're coming out of Egypt. You know, they've escaped. The Lord has delivered them. You know, they're, 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 you know, they're heading for the promised land. Then all of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh and his army, and everybody starts, oh, we should have never left Egypt to begin with. This is terrible. Why did we do this? Moses, you've brought us out here to die. And all of a sudden, they come to the Red Sea, and, and God sends this wind, and the wind splits the Red Sea, and they walk over on the other side, and, and, and the sea is still up. Right? It hadn't, it hadn't collapsed. They get on the other side. It's still standing up. Here comes Pharaoh and his army down into the sea that's still up. And they're looking like, are you going to do something or not? And what does Moses say? Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Why? Because God had to wait for every last one of those Egyptian soldiers to get down in that sea before he would close it up. Rest. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And then last, live. Just live. Get your life back. Come out of the cave. Get out of the hole. Come out of your self-pity party. Come out of your quandary of faith. Come out of your doubt and disillusionment. Gaze on the Lord. Remember. Rest. And you'll live. You know how you'll live? You'll live because... God is your everything. You can face anything. Let's pray. Father, mm, I, can't, I can't give us any more than that. And I can't make anybody in this room push all their chips in on you. I can't make anybody in this room believe that if you are their everything. Then they can face anything. You have to convince them of that. You have to open up their eyes to that. You have to do a work in their heart that only you can do. And so, Father, I pray this morning that people, your people, would start just seeing your beauty. They just gaze upon you as they read the Word, as they gather with other believers. They just see your beauty. Father, I just pray they just walk out into creation today and see your beauty and your glory on full display. And imagine that what, that, what this world would really look like had sin not ever entered into it. Because all the beauty that we see that reveals your glory is still tainted by the effects of sin. We gaze upon your beauty. We remember 
all that you have done, that we would rest and see the salvation of the Lord. Our job is to meditate on these truths. Our job is to root these truths deep into our hearts that they may begin to grow and that we may be live by them and we'd start living like you are our light. You are our salvation. You are our deliverance from evil. And you are our protection. You are our stronghold. You are the place we run into and we are safe. And that no matter what comes against us, because of who you are, we are conquerors. And we can rest in that. And in that rest, we can find life. Life abundantly. So Father, in these moments ahead, I pray that you would ground these truths in our hearts. And Father, if there's one here or watching that doesn't know you as their Savior. They have no rest right now. They'll, they'll never have rest because they are at war with you because they have chosen to live life their way and not your way. And yet you've proven your love to them that even while they have resisted you, you came and you died for them. And you extend your invitation of peace to them. You extend your invitation of life. Repent. Just own up to your sin. And if they'll ask you but to save them, you said you'd be faithful to forgive and you would be faithful to save. And so, Father, we pray that you would stir hearts to receive you today as their Savior. Stir all of our hearts to respond to your word in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand and sing one other song with us this morning?